Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today, I'm here with Lil Eddie. What's up, what's up, y'all? What's up, y'all? So, you're born in Brooklyn? Yeah, I was born in Brooklyn. Well, your parents are, did they move there or? Um, well, yeah, I, I think they came from, my mother came from, uh, my family came from Puerto Rico, my father's yeah. family came from Puerto Rico, and they were um, raised in Brooklyn, and yeah, so I, I grew up in Brooklyn half my life, and then Spanish Harlem, um, most of my, most yeah, of my. Yeah, because then when you were seven, life. it was like life-changing, was it the fire that yeah. burned your house? So when I was five, I had a fire, um, it was a night fire in our building. Oh, wow. And um, it left us homeless. And my father was pretty much a, a, a Brooklyn, New York gangster. He was a, a black Puerto Rican, and my mother was a, a light-skinned um, white Puerto Rican. And they kind of got a lot of discrimination. Mm. And um, uh, there was not a lot of acceptance in their relationship being together. So we didn't have a lot of family support after the fire. So we were homeless for... Um, for about two to three years in shelters, living in a car. And what, did, what job did your mom have? Um, well, my mom, she was a home attendant most of her life. She was like taking care of elderly people. Mm. And my father was a security guard. But my mother stopped working when she had when she had her kids because she was, um, you know, we were babies and someone yeah. had to watch the kids. So my father was a security guard. But um, we also, we struggled with finances most of our life and I was like a homeless, um, a welfare kid most of my life mm. so you know because my father was sick he had a lot of um different uh disorders like um epilepsy and panic disorders and and we was always in the hospital with him and my mother was struggling trying to keep a job and take care of the family and my, and my father and my father would do the best he could as well but um he had like a lot of a lot of issues as well that uh, my mother was kind of left to pick up and try to sort out and uh you know, my, they were hard working parents. My, my family definitely come from like a very Latin, mm-hmm. dysfunctional family with a lot of a lot of um, hardship and adversity I've overcome. But um, the older I become now, I, I kind of appreciate the discipline and those tactics mm-hmm. that I didn't understand when I was younger. Yeah. Even though some of the, you know, some some was abused, some was a lot of things. But I always try to remember that your parents had it a little harder. Yeah. Where's this kid right now? Que pasar? <laughs> so cute. <It's> so cool. <laughs> but it was difficult, right? Because you were like eating out of like trash cans. You were like living yeah. under the bridge. We used to wait. Um, we used to wait for like um, the stores to close down at twelve and go dig in the garbage and eat out of the garbage. And um, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was definitely. It, you know, sometimes I still have flashbacks and it feels like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I struggle now like touching and tasting success and being able to to have a greater life sometimes I struggle with remembering that's not me anymore mm. you know I'm not that yeah. kid no more did you realize what was going on like did you have friends around you were, you were already in school so then did your p- friends or peers know what you were going through back then yeah they knew because I was wearing the same clothes every day and you know they used to make fun of the clothes that I had and or didn't have rather mm-hmm. <laughs> what I was wearing or um you know, some people brought lunch to school. That wasn't an option for me or 
you go on a trip, you can't pay for it, or there's a candy sale, book sale, you can't pay for it. You know, it didn't have a hairline. It was all bad, but, you know, me and my brother and sister used to share the same clothes, you know. And uh, we used to, we used to, me and my brother used to cut out paper and play with paper for toys. So, like, you know, like, I think pe people definitely knew what we were going through. And I, I knew as a kid that I was very poor because I remember my mother always said we didn't have it. And and the way we had to share was, wasn't like my friends and when, when, kids in school that I see or you know I, I realized they had it way better than I did but it, it just I think that's when the desire to want started to grow inside mm. me like I always wanted to want more and I've always wanted to have more and achieve more and I used to always say like man one day I'm gonna never have to worry about sneakers now I have mm -hmm. a lot of sneakers. You know? <laughs> yeah, like these Yeezys. I know you guys can see. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but like, I mean, I think those are the. That's when the dreams you start to, you know, those dreams start to be seeded, and you start to plant those dreams when you're a kid, and you realize um, what you don't have and what you want to overcome, and what, how much better you want your life to be. You know? What kind of music were your parents playing in the house when you were growing up? Man, a lot of Spanish music. Um, we didn't really, a lot of Spanish music I would hear like in my household, my mother would would play Latin music and I'll hear it like, you know, on TV or my mother sing something in Spanish. But also we didn't, I didn't really grow up, um, like music wasn't really as important in my household. And my music wasn't something that, um, like, like it wasn't, it just wasn't very important. We didn't really grow up listening to a lot of music. Um, it wasn't like a, a, a big passion in my family. I, I think that, um, like, I discovered a lot of music more, more, more later when I realized that oh. this is what I wanted to do. So you had you know? no idea, like, where you got your creative ability from in your family. Well, my mother like draws. Mm. She always, you know, used to draw and my and stuff. And I, yeah, I, I really feel like music, you know, music found me and it chose me, and it became. You know, it just I, once I realized that's what I wanted to do, I, I never stopped. But I, I remember times when music was important to me, like when we were driving, um, my father was driving. We, this one, we were homeless, I was about five or six, almost six or five years old, and we were driving across the Brooklyn Bridge, and he, um, he basically didn't um, have any more gas, and, and we ran out of gas on the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh. And... Uh, yeah, we were on the Brooklyn Bridge, ran out of gas, and I was like five, six years old. Me and my brother, my brother was two years older than me, my sister was three years older than me. We had to get out the car and push the car across the Brooklyn Bridge. And I, re I remember uh, Lionel Richie Fiesta, uh, what's that? Um, uh, Fiesta forever. Oh, yeah. All night long. All night long, all night. That was playing. Yeah. And I never forget that. Oh, and I remember a time we was in a mall, or we was in a, yeah. we was in a department store, and um, and Stevie Wonder, uh, I just called to say I love you. That was playing, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember my mother used to really like that song, and from there it, it became, you know, that became like those became artists that I've always, that always existed in my mind, and when I realized. 
who the, like I realized that music can attach the name to the artist, the older I became, the more I realized music was my passion. That's what I wanted to do forever. Yeah. And I discovered the Stevie Wonder catalog and Lionel Richie and Motown and all these great artists. And I, they, I started to attach names to the songs that were like a part of the soundtrack of my life. So you kind of just knew that one, like somehow or another, you were going to do music full time. Well, yeah, I mean, like when I was in this, I grew up, you know, I started singing in this, this boys' choir, New York boys' choir, which was a famous choir. Um, we sang backup for a lot of artists, and we was also a ministry that kind of spread the gospel and the word of God. It was a Christian choir, but yet very famous boys' choir. Mm. And um, I guess when I was about 13, we had a performance in North Carolina in a church, and I was singing this song, which was a scripture, and the whole church started jumping up into the Holy Spirit and stuff. And that was all new to me because I grew up Jehovah's Witness um, initially. Uh, but I realized that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I, I like literally knew, I heard the voice like, oh, music wow. is what I would do forever. I would always be doing music. So mm -hmm. I always pursued it. From there on, I knew that there was nothing else I really wanted to do. Nothing else that would allow me to channel my emotions and my story, my testimony better than music like mm -hmm. I could, could probably you know sing the words or write the words in, in song form and, and speak them better and then when you were like 16 or 17 you kind of got scouted by Mario right yeah well what happened was I was singing on a train when I was a kid and someone followed me and I thought they were gonna rob me and <laughs> um, I was coming from Starbucks I had a job at Starbucks as a barista I lied to the boss and told him I was 16, I was 15, got a job. And um, yeah, someone followed me home, I was dirty, I was singing. And from there, uh, they were like, oh, I know someone who can help you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I was already accumulating all these demos, working with producers and um, I was always writing. I always told people I can write just to get behind the booth because I was a Latin kid and they used to look at me like, well, if you sing R&B or hip-hop, you must have like a little Spanish accent when you sing. And I really wanted to prove myself. And producers always were looking for writers, so I, that I always said I could write it. It, it became an opportunity to get behind the mic. So I had all these demos, and then I passed it to someone who passed it to Eddie Morales, which is a famous choreographer. He, he's also Puerto Rican from New York, Brooklyn. And he was doing Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson at the time. Oh, wow. And he heard it, and he didn't believe it was me, and he came and met me in New York City <laughs> at Starbucks, and I sang for him. And he introduced me to people who brought me to the likes of Missy Elliott and P. Diddy and Mario Winans, and I did a deal when I was younger. And uh, I learned so much from Diddy and Mario Winans. They gave me my name, Lil Eddie. We're just going to walk through this sprinkler. Yeah, I'm just going to let this first <laughs> It's oh all good. <laughs> and this was still during high school, right? Yeah, I was in high school and I wrote this song. My last year of high school, I wrote this Carl Thomas, Hello Kooji song. It was in the Billboard charts on the radio. No one believed it was me until the Billboard was printed. I was like, I told you guys I wrote this. So were you just going to school and then like afterwards you would just sit and do sessions all the time or? Yeah, I would, I would go to school, I would go to work, I would go to choir practices. I was in multiple choirs um, and studio and I was just hustling sometimes I didn't sleep I would leave the studio like three four in the morning from uh, 43rd Street between 8th and 9th 
my school is on 44th at the town hall building. Um, but I would have to go all the way back to Spanish Harlem to come all the way back down to school and do the whole thing again. But it was my passion and I was hungry and I was putting in the footwork, you know, and I really, especially when, when, I, when I was just dreaming and now I'm in front of P. Diddy, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm closer than I could, I'm closer than I yeah. even think. You know, all I have to do is really show up keep beating the pavement and it's gonna crack open you know mm -hmm. and that's what I did I just I just kept going I was relentless I was a little I was definitely crazy when I was young <laughs> I was crazy I was like I, I gotta get out the ghetto I gotta get out the projects I gotta make this dream come true I gotta get inside the TV mm -hmm. and I guess you people know? were just like word of mouth right that's how you met so many people or yeah singing on the train but you know I was always I had I was I was brave enough to sing on the train because I I used to sing on the train for money and I used to sing on the train to to get to to gather money up to go on tours and just with my friends or just to impress people just to see if there was an A and R or somebody who would stop me and say hey you good so you know I, it was a lot of work uh, that even helped build the the that extra gear of, of being brave um, it takes like a lot of hours singing in front of people, people actually telling you you're not good, you messing up in front of people and becoming like fearless, you know? Mm -hmm. What was the next big break after Carl Thomas? Oh, after Carl Thomas? Oh, yeah. so, uh, man, I, I was like really fast. I was working with all these bad boy artists and then I worked with Usher around the confession era. Yeah, um, And then Janet Jackson. So it was just, man, it was just nonstop. How know, old were you when you were working with Usher and Janet? I was like 18, 19. What? 18, 19, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. And it was crazy. I mean, it was a, it was definitely a, a crazy time in my life. Because, I, I, I mean, people were admiring my work, but I didn't even think I, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just, it was just all pure instinct. It was just how I felt. And I think, um just watching and learning and picking up things as I as I went along and that was working out for me you know mm -hmm. that's that this stuff began to work out for me what was it like being in these sessions with them like you were <laughs> so young but they took everything you did like seriously right yeah it was and I mean like I spent time with us working with us me and him for about a week on the confessions album and um that was amazing man I, lo I, I learned so much from him and uh and I learned you know, even someone at that peak, someone that, that was that, that was that great that I looked up to, he was he was acting like a student himself. He wanted to know, he wanted to know if he was doing things right. He wanted to do it perfect. He wanted to be great. You know, he was he didn't care how many people were part of it as long as as long as he was making history. And that taught me so much. It taught me like, you know, you're always a student. You always have to learn. And um, and hard work pays off because that confession album was. Confessions was classic. It was massive. Yeah. You know? How did you even like learn how to write? Like, were you looking through like a lot of pop music and like seeing uh, seeing like how they're writing certain things and like it clicking to you or like any research you did? No, I mean I think I was. Um, I, I'm I'm still always a fan and consumer of music and um, and I'm still learning. You know, like because music is it always evolves and um, I think. I think, you know, I, I've, now I know a lot. I think of music a lot differently, and I, 
I have a little bit more math and science to what I do. But back then, for me, it was just pure emotion and vulnerability. I, I didn't know. I, I was. I didn't know if it was right or wrong. I would just kind of go along with this melody sounds good or this word, these words are coming out of my head. And I would try to pull from what I was going through in life or what I seen people go through or my parents were going through mm. or my friends or my family or my desires. And it was a whole lot of and then passion. It was so much going on and opportunity was presenting itself. So I couldn't just not come up with a song. I couldn't mm -hmm. just not try to write. You know, it was like, okay, your dreams are coming true. That's what you want. Now's the moment. Make it happen. Yeah. Find it. Let it just come out. You know, so <laughs> it was a lot of push. It was I was pushing myself. I felt pressure. I wanted to be great. I wanted to be good enough. And um, yeah, I learned along the way. You know, I'm still learning. And then your first album, you didn't really put it out, right? But you got popularity in Germany and Japan. <laughs> Yeah, so, I was like reading that like that's so random. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Like my first, my first album didn't get to see the light of day. It was shelved by the label. There was a lot of different people who wanted me to do different things, and there was a lot of other. You know, this is when I started to learn a lot more politics in the business, mm. and um, I thought I thought it was done for me. I thought like, hey, my album ain't coming out, you know. But then Ryan Leslie was like, man, you Ryan Leslie and Cassie told me actually. Your music is huge in Germany, man. You have to go out there and tour. And I was like, really? And he hooked me up with this um, this touring um, agent, Mirko Crazy Tunes. I will never forget him. And they, uh, they, they were telling me, yeah, your records are really big in Germany. You should come and perform and some, do some tours. And I was just like, yeah, okay. And then they were saying, uh, yeah, tell me how many people you need. This is how much you'll get per show. And I was like, this sounds crazy. So I was like, yeah, six people, you know, whatever. And... The six tickets appeared, the money came, and then I went over there, and I did shows, and people knew all the words to my records. How did, were they playing on the radio? They were playing on radio, they were wow. playing in clubs. And with, your people weren't reaching out to them, like they found it themselves in their No, yeah, they, you know, there was a lot of hackers back in the day when YouTube oh. was first developing, and all this, all this online stuff was developing, and they would hack producers' emails, and writers' emails, and artists' emails, and take the, take the content and release it and then there was people who was white labeling the records and playing them in the clubs and they became hits in the country. And uh, I mean, so that's why online, if you go look up Little Eddie, there's videos with like 34 million views, 40, you know, there's just millions and millions of views, Little Eddie songs, and they're not even, nothing's directed towards a Little Eddie page. You know, it's just <laughs> tons of views, tons of streams, and nothing's directed towards my page. But um, it it's it, there's there's pros and cons to everything. I think it it kept a life going for me. It kept the little lady name out there. It kept growing, and people started to find about my music, and that's how I got a little bit more popular. Um, how about Japan though? That yeah, seemed just so random, like in Asia. Yeah, so the music the music started to circulate, and then I started to get all these people from Asia from Asia to hitting me up. Um, and saying, you know, this is all via, like, MySpace. They were hitting me up and saying, hey, we want to sign you. And I was just like, what? This is crazy. I didn't know if it was real. And then contracts would come in, and they were real. And then I did a deal with a company named Manhattan Records. And every album I released over there went number one. And then I did a Greatest Hits, and I had all these big, massive hits yeah. in Japan. And 
did big tours and opened up for Neo, 35,000, whatever, people. And it's, Japan has been amazing to me. It was like a second home to me. And, and that also kept, you know, Little Eddie growing and, and moving along the way, you know? Mm -hmm. But then in America, people weren't really used to that sort of music, right? Or Well, I think things were happening in different territories. And I, I just, I, I was no longer... Um, focus on, you know, trying to get an American deal. I seen that there was so much more than just America and your music could have a life in the rest of the world. And I was I was really content with that. I was I, I felt like there was an organic thing happening with my music and a and there was a market for my music and people who really wanted my music. And I wanted to see what that was and give that my all, which I did. Um, and then from there you know, I, then then the whole Yellow Claw stuff happened. I'm doing records with DJs and Diplos. Uh, people signed a Diplo. And How did you get in the EDM scene? Um, it was crazy. One of my friends named Brahim, he was like, man, I know these guys, Yellow Claw. They're going to be the next biggest thing. They're amazing. He played me some tracks. He played me this one track, and um, I freestyled this chorus, and Never Die came uh, came to life. I recorded it, sent it back. Yellow Claw loved it. Never Dies was the EP name and the big song on the EP and then, then it just it introed me into like what was happening in the EDM world I, I mean I, I knew of the Afrojacks and stuff but and I was working with Eva Simmons back then and she was doing a lot of stuff with Afrojack mm. but Yellow Claw loved my vocals kept it on it became a big thing and all the merchandise was like never dies and the song is known in that world and on the Yellow Claw brand and then after that we did some more songs um, then another one landed in the 2K17 WWE video game that I'm singing on, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool. That's and so cool. Um, that one's called We Made It. it the album, that went number one on Beatport, and the album went number one on Billboard, the album that I did two, two features on. So that was another, like, extension of, okay, Lil Eddie and the artistry just staying alive, you know? And I, I've let a lot of things happen organically, like from writing for artists, producing for artists, working with artists, developing artists, helping discover artists. I, I've, I've really just let things happen, what's supposed to be, just be, versus, you know, trying to prove to the world or somebody that I'm an artist from. I know, I don't, it's not, I don't feel like it's something I have to prove. I think I, I walk and talk and I live and breathe it, my, that I'm an artist, you know? Mm -hmm. How about with Diplo? Oh, I mean, not the whole, I mean, it was just it was just crazy like just to be even a part of that whole movement i mean it blows a great you know he's an icon in that in the edm world and bigger than the edm world he's done so many collaborations with so many different genres and artists in different genres how did you meet him or how did you get connected well the whole thing just like it just through the yellow claw stuff oh. you know like the yellow yellow claw signed to diplo through mad decent and just to be a part of the, all of that is just really you know, like I said, it's just, it all happened organically, and I'm just, I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface, like, this is just the beginning, there's so much more I want, I'm on my first plate, not even my second or my dessert, like, I'm just on the first plate still, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, like, I'm, I'm just, I feel stronger than ever, I feel like I have more to say, a lot, I know a lot more, my music is getting greater, and I'm just excited for, for like, what's to come, and giving more people my music, and telling people my story, and letting Latins know that, We've been here for years, not only singing Latin, but being a part of all these genres, on the writing end, on the production end, on 
We've just been we've been here for years, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then have have you always been trying to do like being an artist and being like a writer or like you're well like I didn't know what stumble into doing way more writing or Yeah, like I lied and said I knew how to write just to get behind the mic, you know, and gave me my opportunity to get behind the mic, but I feel like there's no way I could there's no way I could die and leave all this music behind and leave my story behind. And I would never feel satisfied unless I tell my story. And now I'm trying to get a lot more devoted to just giving the world my story and talking about my story and just get, get the right attention and the right uh, outlets to just give me an opportunity to, to tell my story and let the people know that, you know, like... Like I said, there was always this Latin kid that was a part of a lot of great rooms, a lot of great music that always, you know, was Americanized and never felt Latin enough, never felt white enough, never felt black enough, but had a little bit of knowledge of everything. And I think that's what the new Latino is. The kid who doesn't speak the perfect Spanish, but grows up with the culture at home and the music and, the, and watching the TV and, um, having Latin music, but also listening to Biggie and Jay-Z and pop music and pop culture like Britney and his sync and everything in between. R&B, Timberland and Missy and Genuine and Ali and all these great, great, you know, artists. And, and I was like a, a hybrid of all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Growing up in Spanish Harlem, you hear, you're on one block, you're listening to Mark Anthony across the street, someone's listening to, you know, ASAP Rocky, you know, <laughs> and that's what it, that's what it is to, to grow up in, in Spanish Harlem as a, as a young kid, you know, and um, still to this day, if you go to Spanish Harlem, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, even in L.A., like, there's so many Latinos. I have Mexican friends in L.A. who don't speak the language fluently, but they are proud to be Mexican, proud to be Latino, proud to be who they are, and, um, you know, I want to represent that. I want to I represent that in the same likes of, you know, the Pharrells and the Missies and as a producer, writer, artist who's not only just work, focused on himself but has been in so many pots and, and so many um, records, been a part of so many great records throughout the years, you know. I've always was the only Latin in the room. I always was like, mm. <laughs> you know, it was not a lot of Latins. Now the Latins are, are coming up. And the Latinos is another huge explosion, you know? And the explosion is bridging the gap now. Like Cardi B's and Despacito with Bieber. Those gaps are being bridged because Latinos are not just Latinos that speak Spanish or listen to Spanish music. We are part of the sales of Adele, Ed Sheeran, Drake, and everything else. And we are part of the fan base of those artists as well. So why do we have to only sing in Spanish? Why do we have to only rap in Spanish? Why can't we talk about where we from and it be organic and it be real and it be accepted, you know? Um, and for me, you know, I wanna make sure that the Latin craze and the Latin, the Latin explosion right now isn't taken as some novelty. You know, it's not just this Despacito thing. It's bigger than that. Yeah, I it's love that. It's not, you know, and it becomes this novelty. Arriba, arriba. <laughs> That's what, and it's not that. It's not that at all. 
Luis Fonsi is an amazing vocalist. He's an amazing musician. Daddy Yankee's a legend with incredible melody and incredible, incredible artists who made reggaeton this big, huge explosion. It's now a genre in its own right, you know? And I want to just add to everything that's going on and let people know, hey man, Latinos been growing up in the heart of America, in the heart of the of everything, of the struggles, and was a part of hip hop and pop and R&B and has inspired the culture and has been a part of the movement for a long time. And I don't want people to look at me for, you know, uh, where I'm from or where my family's from or my, my race. I want people to hear my music and respect it for the quality it is, you know, and, and say, wow, this, this is real, this is real art. This is a story, this is a testimony. And I want people to love it or hate it. Don't like it. I want you to love it or hate it. <laughs> don't like my music because I think when you like some, it kind of gets ignored and overlooked. <laughs> so you can love it or you can hate it, but I'm never gonna stop doing what I do. And I'm, I'm, I'm here and I want to put my culture on the map in a different way. How did the X Factor thing happen? Wow, it's huge, so X Factor too. It's crazy because <laughs> when I talk about all these things, I just feel like insane sometimes. Um, <laughs> X Factor was moving to the USA and I got a call from an A&R that said, hey man, we're looking for another vocal coach. The way we scout vocal coaches is we want someone who's also a producer, writer with accolades and has a little bit of an edge for TV. Mm -hmm. So I say, hey, call me. I'm, I'm there. What do you need me to do? <laughs> so he's like, yeah. he's like, you can do a Skype call with the production company or you can go meet them. I said, I'll be there. How long? He's like, 15. I said, I'll be there at 10. And I sped through the highway. I shouldn't have did that, but I, was, I couldn't lose this opportunity. And I got there and... I was like, hey man, what's up, I'm little Eddie, blah. The meeting was so quick, it was like five minutes. I thought I lost it. And I got a call and they said, yeah, they, lo they loved you, man. You, you, you got it, they come, come and work. And I was like, wow, man. And so I came in, started working on the show, got close to Simon. It was a big part of um, talking about, hey man, we need, you know, Latins need to come to the, fo the front. And I used to always talk to Simon about Latins and when Fifth Harmony was happening, I was like, yeah, we should make sure we pick girls who also sing in Spanish and was in the room with L.A. Reid and Simon Cowell and put this group together who became Fifth Harmony, you know? Yeah, amazing. And yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> From that, I did another season and Carlito Olivero made third place and that was huge. He, he left the same position, I think, as, uh, Fifth, as Fifth Harmony and One mm. Direction. He left the same position. He's doing great things, movies now and music, and he was Latin. And when he made it that far, they didn't have a feature, they didn't have an artist for him. Because when you make it to that final stage, you, you perform with a celebrity. Mm. So they didn't know who to call, and I knew Prince Royce. I was working with Prince Royce. So I called Prince Royce and got Prince Royce booked to perform with Carlito, which was a dream come true for Carlito, you know? Yeah. And um, then after that, there was a show called La Banda Made. I worked on La Banda and put this group CNCO together. I was a big part of helping uh, form that group. And um, they, they're like the hugest, biggest Latin thing right now. 
CNCO, and that was a uh, that's amazing, you know. And then after that, I just last year I, I went to X Factor in the UK, worked on this boy group Raksu, co-wrote this song, which went number one on iTunes, number two overall in the UK charts. And the song, the name of the song was called Dimelo, which, is, which means like tell me what's up, like what's up in, in Spanish. And uh, I had some British kids singing Dimelo. <laughs> you know, and it's been it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey, and I'm learning so much working with Psycho, working with Simon Cowell, and just being able to also feed some light into some artists, you know, and give them you know um, encouragement and tell them that it's okay. Like their delusions and their dreams, mm -hmm. those big dreams that scare you, just mean you're moving in the right direction. If they don't scare you, they're not big enough. <laughs> you know, like so I, I just. I feel like I'm equipped to actually to to feed artists as well and to birth to birth stars. You know, mm. I've, I think that's the power of, of art and creators. We we're architects. You know, we can do we're more than just songwriters or producers or singers. We we can birth things. We mm -hmm. can feed light and love and knowledge to people and testimony. And through that, we can really change the world and save lives. What was your reaction when you got your first Grammy nomination? And then now you're just like, yeah, just keep them going. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was like, that was insane to know, yo, I can write a song, on an, be a part of an album that the Grammy board pays attention to and says, this is Grammy worthy. And the people that are on the, on the, on the Grammy board vote for and it becomes nominated. It's like, whoa, this is insane it's, it's larger than it's, it's bigger than me you know I'm just I'm just a vessel and I really feel like the people write the songs and we just have I just got to listen you know I just got to listen and make sure that um, I don't miss out on, on something great on a great song you know I, got, I pay attention to what's going on in the world and how, how people feel and what people say and that's where the songs are really born mm -hmm. How do you say your the music that you've written has changed or grown over time? My songwriting? Yeah. Mm, I mean, so it's been it's become. I can. I mean, it's like a muscle, you know. If you work out every day in the gym, you get stronger and you can lift more weight. Mm -hmm. And songwriting, the more you do it, the more strong that muscle develops. The the faster words flow, the faster ideas flow melodies so I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm really strong right now stronger than ever in that department of writing a song or producing a song creating a song um, and working with an artist which is another skill because when I'm writing for an artist I've, I'm the uber driver it's like where do you want to go let me take you there sometimes pe where people think they want to go they think they, they have the best route but I feel like I'm, I'm skilled and I'm, I'm developed so sometimes I know the faster route so it's that's the biggest uh the biggest thing in the room is trying to get the artist to trust you, to help mm. help them see themselves through your eyes. And um, that's, you know, that's my positioning, writing for an artist. I'm your Uber driver. Where do you want to go? Let me take you there. And then sometimes, you know what? I know how to get there faster. I know you, I know you think you know the fast route, but I know the fast mm. route. I know the, not necessarily the fast route, but the safest route, the best route, you know? <laughs> and uh, when I'm writing for myself, I, you know, I have to be more vulnerable. I have to be more mm. honest. I have to be a lot more fearless. I have to also then then I, then that competition with myself starts. You know, where it's like 
then I get into that artist world where I get crazy and nah, but this ain't good enough, but no, I can say this better and then that's a whole nother battle and that's a whole nother thought process. But songwriting now in my life, I would say I'm, you know, I'm, I definitely feel master of my, master of my craft now. What are the inspirations behind Island? Island, so, Island is just a love story, you know, Island is, uh, Island is that, that uh, moment when you realize after you fight and you walk away from love, that you know what, when love is real and when someone's that important, you, it, it, you have to come back and you have to realize that, you know, you can't do it by yourself and no man is an island. And it's just a love story. It's not necessarily even something I went through because I feel like sometimes I write dramatic songs that uh, <laughs> you, you don't really, you write them into existence. But um, something I could relate to. But I guess it was just the temperature of love around me at that time. People that were, you know, going through tug of wars in their relationships and um, just became something that I felt like I, I wanted to write about. And then when I started to think about songs I should start putting out to release, I was like, you know what, this is a good song. I really want to put it out. I want to I just start releasing a little Eddie music, more current, and start just, you know, warming things up. So for me, Island is just scratching the surface, warming, warming things up for the, for the rest mm -hmm. to come. Yeah. Last question. What does true love mean to you? True love? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to me? Yeah. Or um, love, up to you. True love means agape, agape love. Love with no boundaries, love with no limits, love with no judgment, love with uh, love, um, unapologetic love, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>